and welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, mother of dragons, burnout queen, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. And I am here today with a special guest, Dr. Susan Landers. She's a retired neonatologist and she just got her newest book published called So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. And today we are going to break it down. She's going to drop some sage knowledge on our heads, share from her experience. And I got to tell you, I loved getting to know Susan more and more. So we'll put a link to her book so you can check that out afterwards. But before you do that, listen in on our conversation. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Susan Landers. It's so great to have you here with me today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Well, tell everybody out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself and the magic you're putting into the world. Oh, thanks. I am a retired neonatologist. Believe it or not, I survived 34 years in the NICU. And I loved most every minute of it. You know, there were some times when Things were a little rough or outcome wasn't quite right or we lost a baby, but it was a great career. I really got a lot of inspiration from the parents of my patients. And once I retired about five years ago, I started writing about my special patients and I started recollecting the babies that had been the most influential or the most problematic or the parents who had surprised me. And the case, some of the cases were really complex and other cases were, you know, regular old set of triplets. And as I began to write about them, I realized that I could tell the story of what it was like to work in a NICU. And that there was some value to the public or other physicians reading about what it's like to work in a critical care unit for 34 years. And as I went through those stories, my girlfriends in my book club encouraged me to add stories of my being a mother because I also raised three children along the way. I was in academic neonatology for 14 years. I was an associate professor with tenure, had 30 odd publications. And then we switched gears and moved to Austin, Texas, where I joined a private practice neo group. And I did that for the last 16 years of my career. In the middle of my career, kind of after the move to Austin, I decided I was kind of Board? Board's not really the right word. I found the NICU work to be kind of ordinary. And, you know, it was the usual set of preemies and big babies with birth defects and whatnot. But I developed a new area of expertise. My passion had always been breastfeeding medicine. And then I trained myself up as a breastfeeding medicine expert. Got all the extra training joined the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, 
became a leader in the AAP section on breastfeeding and wrote some policy statements and did lots of fun things, teaching, went around the country teaching at national meetings and whatnot. And I really enjoyed that. And the value of that personal development in the middle of your career is that you can do whatever you want, even if you're a physician trained as an anesthesiologist or a neonatologist or a family practitioner. If you're interested in something, you can go a different route. And I did that. And I think that helped me a lot stay vital in my career. It helped me stay intellectually curious. And it helped me not get burnt out until the very end of my career. And in my book, I have written a lot about uh, my episode of burnout. It didn't happen until I was 62 years old. Uh, a lot of young physicians, female physicians, are talking about being burned out in their 40s. And, and I guess we could talk a little later about how that did not happen to me. But when burnout did happen to me, I was quite a bit older. And it came as a real surprise. I didn't realize that I, I, mean, I knew I was physically exhausted. And I was beginning to know I was emotionally exhausted. But I didn't realize I had the other components of burnout. Some of the nurse practitioners said, boy, you're just not acting like yourself. You're like a cynical bitch. And, and I said, well, you know, I've always been cynical. I said, no, this is much worse. And I started to detach from my patients. And then I was walking around going, oh, what the heck? Not going to make a difference anyway, another 600 grammar. And so I started feeling like it wasn't worthwhile anymore. And a couple of my partners said, you're really getting pretty burnout. I said, yeah, I think you're right. At the very same time, we had an opportunity to cover a um, low-risk maternity service in one of our outlying hospitals. Everybody else thought that would be boring. And I raised my hand in a meeting and said, I think I'll go do that. I think that might be okay. And I went and did that and worked 35 hours a week, part-time, took call maybe one night a week, and I started to recover. And I read about burnout and talked to people. Of course, I had a psychotherapy. I worked with a shrink, and I rekindled friendships. I worked on my relationship with my husband. He's kind of a happy-go-lucky pediatric nephrologist. He always enjoyed the heck out of everything, but they don't really work very hard. <laughs> they uh, think they do, but, you know, they don't go in at night, and they're not in the hospital, you know. It's rare that they go in and do dialysis at night. So, you know, I started working on my relationship with my husband. I started taking piano lessons. I started ringing bells in a handbell choir at church. I started doing all these things that were not medicine, that were me, and things I like to do and ways I use to calm down and feel okay. And over a two-year period, my burnout resolved. And so by the time I retired at age 64, I said, 
you know, I think what just happened to me can be helpful to other people. I think that I can tell a story about how medicine can push you so far and so hard that you lose sight of what you're doing and who you are, and that there are ways to deal with clinical medicine so that won't happen. And even though my burnout happened when I was older, I think there's still some similarities and some lessons to be learned for the younger women physicians who are feeling it in their 40s. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing such a beautiful story. And yeah, what I heard you say in there, and I think there are so many pearls of wisdom is, hey, it's okay to make a change and to take Mm -hmm. a step back, you know, to work a little less. It's okay to not be the job, not be all in and figure Mm -hmm. out who is the person under the white coat. It's okay to realize that relationships have changed and then it's time to update those relationships and get back in touch yes. and and work on those things that maybe you've put on the back burner and and there's been some damage there. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, Erin. And I'll tell you another story that uh, is applicable. When I was 40, I had my third child and we had just moved to another city. My husband had a great job as a division chief, and I was just a regular old neonatologist, three kids, so new house, new schools, three kids, breastfeeding at work, and I got postpartum depression about a year after she was born, and that surprised me because I didn't think it could happen that far out, but anyway, the depression was a turning point, and I, again, had some psychotherapy, not just working with a good friend. And I looked at my priorities in a really significant way. I looked at each and everything I was doing, this research project, this paper, this child, this challenge, this husband, this friendship, this new community, and every single part of my life I looked at and I stepped back. And I said, I can't do all this. I cannot spin all these plates. And I actually took down some plates. And I said, I'm not going to work on that. I'm not going to do this until I finish that. And it was a very painful procedure. Very painful. Of course, the antidepressants and the therapy helped my depression resolve quickly. And, you know, that process, that postpartum depression, that reassessing my priorities, that looking at all the facets of my life allowed my husband and I to decide that where we were was not a good fit. And after a few years, we said, we need to move so that we can both be happy. And that led to our move to Austin, Texas where we both had great jobs and we both were very happy for many, many years. We've been in Austin for 25 years and have loved every minute of it. Now it's a big change for me. I went from academic medicine to private practice, but that was fine. That was easy. I mean, academics is quite a bit harder in that you need to produce papers and research and you need to have expertise. And in private practice, you really just need to be a good doctor. (laughs) 
I mean, the other stuff is kind of fluff. Uh, so I didn't find moving to private practice um, difficult. I, f- I found it somewhat liberating. I felt like I had less weight on my shoulders. And so the point of this story is that that episode of depression and my ability to reassess my priorities and my ability to, you know, work with my husband, we've been married 38 years now, (laughs) allowed us to make the changes we needed to make in our marriage, in our professional lives. And we both found jobs that we really, really ultimately liked. And that was another major thing I did in my life. And I think other women, especially other women physicians, are going to find themselves in very similar situations. Whether it's the job, whether it's the children, whether it's the ages of their children, whether it's their spouse. I mean, all those things push us to a point where we just have to step back and look at our priorities. We've just got to, because we're all perfectionistic, or we tend to be, we're all go-getters, we're all overachievers, we all want to do everything and always do our best. And so when we cannot do that, we really have no other avenue to take other than stepping back, centering, examining, and really sorting through our priorities. And I know you talk a lot about that in your series on work addiction. (laughs) And I love that you brought that up. I thought it's so important because part of why we get in trouble is our work addiction. I'm sure that had a lot to do with my going over the edge at age 40 because I wanted to do everything perfectly, even though I just had my third kid and I was in a new city and I had a new job and I didn't like it. And how could I be perfect and how could be addicted to my work when all those things were not quite right? So it really matters for women physicians to know what they want to do where they are in their career, and what their priorities are. I just can't say enough about how important that is for women physicians. Absolutely. You know, I've heard you say a couple times, you you mentioned your husband, who's a physician as well. I have a non-doctor husband. Luckily, I think that's... (laughs) I don't know what I would do if he was in medicine as well. But through this whole journey and, and through you guys traversing life together. You know, you mentioned uh, working out your relationship and and working on that as part of your burnout recovery. When I work with ladies, women physicians or other high achievers that come to me for burnout, a lot of times there's resentment there in their relationship with their husband. Was that something that you experienced because he was so fulfilled and you were not? When we made that move, to, well, the city was Little Rock, Arkansas, but it doesn't matter. When we, when we left Houston and went to a different city, he had a perfect job. He had a great secretary. He had wonderful nurses. He was vice chair of the department. He worked every third or fourth weekend, and I was busting my butt. And I resented his life. I resented his happiness. I resented how easy it was for him 
And I was struggling so much. So yeah, resentment was a big part of it. You know, I'll admit it. I was mad. I really thought I had been drugged to a place where I was being tortured. And as the mother who cares a lot more about the three kids and the school and the teachers and the nannies and all the stuff that we do. And he was just going to work, having a good time. Resentment was a very big part of it. Very big. And how did you guys work through that? I mean, because obviously you did because you're still married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I went into therapy, as I said, psychotherapy, which always is helpful. And he listened to his friends. (laughs) He had good friends, one of whom has been married a long time, a pediatric ID doctor, and one of whom is on his third wife. And between listening to those different perspectives, he figured out, I think, that he needed to change and be more helpful. He needed to be more understanding of my problems. You know, Back when we were younger, when I was your age, the Mars and Venus books came out, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Those books helped me so much because I remember sitting him down saying, look, I don't want you to fix anything for me. I just want you to listen and understand. And he went, well, no, no, let me help fix it. I said, no, I don't want you to help me fix it. I just want you to listen. I don't like my boss. I don't like this partner. I don't, I don't like this teacher at school. I just am struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Don't say anything. Just listen. And we worked on it and he was willing to make changes. He was willing to listen, to be understanding, to do more things around the children. That's when he started doing all of the cooking. It was really wonderful. I'm a terrible cook and he's a good cook. And he started taking the kids to a grocery store. And that was their thing they did with dad once a week. They all went grocery shopping together. And he started doing all all the cooking and lunch preps and all of that. And that took a huge burden off of me. He didn't do a lot of the other school-related and sports-related things, but It was okay. We divided things up in a way that I thought was fair. And he was willing, Aaron, to leave that really good job and go somewhere else and move us, all of us together, to save our marriage. I really think that move saved our marriage. And so, yeah, resentment was a big factor in motivating us to make the changes we needed to make. Yeah, to get back realigned with that priorities too. Because isn't it amazing, even though you live in the same home, you sleep in the same bed, you see each other regularly, how on total opposite sides of the world you can be with your spouse sometimes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, the good thing about being married to a physician is when you come home and talk about that really difficult case or that parent who you just can't reach, and you tell the story to your husband, he gets it. He goes, oh, man, that just sucks so bad. I'm just sorry. I know you feel horrible about that case. Or we would share a case together, a very difficult case. One of the last cases we shared together was really neat because 
the neonatology group wanted to go full court press. It was a baby with a cloacal extrophy who could not be surgically repaired, although she was surgically palliated. And she ended up going on peritoneal dialysis, but was not a candidate for renal transplant because she didn't have room in her very abnormal abdomen. And we were part of a team of doctors who were in conflict over what to do about this baby. And that actually allowed each of us to be kind of like, you know, the wise counselors. Although the Neo team won, they wanted to do everything and they kept doing everything until she was two years old. Even though the nephrology team said, you know, this is really futile therapy. We don't need to do this. And he and I enjoyed, that's kind of a funny word, but he and I felt a lot of value in working on that case together. And I, and I always cherished that. I always cherished knowing that I could talk about cases with my husband and he would understand the difficulty of, of, you know, medical complexity. Yeah. And so it sounds like you have a lot more of these stories in your book called So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. Tell people where they can check this out, where they can buy it, where they can, because I, I'm a story lover, like just sitting here and absorbing this from you. I'm like, mm, this sounds like more that I need to hear. Oh, I have so many stories about raising children. So I have a website, SusanLandersMD.com. And from there, people can link all of my social media accounts and they can also click on a button, which will take them to any online bookseller. I'm not selling the books from my website, uh, but you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, whatever, and buy the book. What the book offers is stories about normal mother-child challenges and how I dealt with them while working full-time. Here's a, here's a great story. Here's one of my favorites. My oldest daughter developed an eating disorder when she was 16 years old and it took me a few months to figure it out, talking to her best friend's mother, talking to her friends, watching her not eat for a month or so. I took her to the pediatrician who said, oh, no, she's just got reflux. We'll throw some antacids at it. Everything will be fine. You know, she's kind of high strung. She's an A student. She's like you are. I said, I know that, but she's not eating. So anyway, another month or two went by and, and we finally figured out she was not eating. And I pulled back. I went and told my boss, I said, my daughter's sick. I cannot work this much. I was working about 60 hours a week. I've got to pull back to three-fourths time. I've got to have enough time to take her to appointments and to see the nutritionist and to go talk to the shrink and to go talk to her teachers and to make sure everything's okay. And by pulling back, I was able to kind of help my daughter through. And she actually recovered quickly. She recovered within about six months. And so it was not only early identification of her eating disorder, but also my throwing myself at her problem to get her through that difficulty that helped. So I tell stories like that in the book. 
I tell stories like figuring out my youngest had dyslexia and what that was like and getting all the services that she needed. I tell the story of how my youngest was bitten in the face by a dog when she was three years old and how that felt, you know, oh, the blood's gushing everywhere and you're rushing to the ER. So I just tell regular mom stories. I tell stories about my son being in the Boy Scouts, my son not being uh, good at sports. He was always kind of a clumsy, goofy kid. And, and I was always worried because he couldn't really do soccer or basketball or anything, but boy, he could really do Boy Scouts. He was really good at that. And he made it all the way to Eagle Scout. So, I, you know, I just tell stories of regular mom and kid moments and lessons learned because I think all moms go through the same thing. You know, when I was in the NICU, the mothers would say, oh, your children are probably perfect because you're a physician. And I would go, oh, no, they're not. All mothers have trouble with their children. We all get challenged. We all go through these different phases with them. And the NICU moms would say, really? I can't believe it. I go, yeah, it's all, it's the same for all of us. All working moms have the same challenges. How do you prioritize things? How do you take care of your children while also fulfilling your own career needs. And so in the book, I talk about all that and how it weaves together with my professional life. Well, Dr. Susan, thank you so much for normalizing the dumpster fires (laughs) (laughs) that I know happened here at Team Wiseman and probably to every listener out there. It has just been a joy to sit in your presence. I'm so glad that we connected. And yeah, go check her out on any social media at Susan Landers, MD. Thank you so much. Well, Erin, I'm thankful for you and what you're doing. I think what you're doing with this podcast with physicians is really the best. And I'm, I wish you all the success. And I'm so glad your podcast is popular because you're talking about all these issues. And that's really a good thing. So thank you. Well, thank you. I accept that. Thank you so much. you aspiring podcasters out there, listen up. If you have always wanted to start a podcast, but you haven't gotten around to it yet, this is your sign. I have made a podcasting 101 and podcasting 202 presentation that I want to help you. For a limited time only this fall, you can pick up both of those in a bundle. Check the show notes for the link. In Podcasting 101, you get everything you need to get your podcast off the ground with fun and ease. And in Podcasting 202, you learn how to scale and monetize so that you can grow your podcast reach and even make some dollars. When I started podcasting in 2018 here on Dr. Me First, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how much I would love doing this podcast. So having a course like this to show me a way would have saved me so much pain and hassle from everything that I went through. And I shared that with you so you can get started on the right path. 
Plus, you get to see the Aaron Wiseman way of things. Let me show you the Coupon Mom easy way to podcast. This won't be around forever, so go check it out and get your podcast out there. Then make sure to email me and let me know when it's launched. I want to listen to you too. But you got to go check out Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 202 to get you started. Thanks, Dr. Susan Landers, for coming on the podcast, for normalizing motherhood, normalizing being a working mom, and just normalizing the experience of being human. You, my friend, are a total badass, and I so appreciate you. Again, make sure you go check out her book, So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. I don't think you'll regret getting it by any means. I know it's been great seeing her stories and listening to them here. And also, if you need some more help, come on over to the Badass Community. Yep, we're on Slack. Or come hang with me in my monthly masterclasses. That's where I'm live, and you can talk about any topics in a safe space. Because friend, got your back. You're not alone, and you can thrive through this. All right. Remember, my friends, last but not least, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya.